That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Jake, it's Advent, it's not Christmas. Second Sunday of Advent, if you happen to be um, around at 4 o'clock Eastern Time, I want to encourage you to tune in to our candlelight service of Lessons and Carols directed by our music director, Camel Boutros. It is uh, one of the oldest services of Lessons and Carols in the United States. So come check it out. And what's the date on that? It's uh, Sunday, (laughs) December 5th, second Sunday of Advent. All right, Sunday, December 5th. If you're in New York, go. If you're not in New York, tune in online. And if you'd like to make your feelings known about who is your favorite co-host of Same Old Song, you could also watch St. Albans live stream no, actually, we don't have anything. Are you guys on doing Sunday something night. too? No, we have a mm. well. We do have a lessons and carol service, and it will be live streamed. But it is actually going to be on the uh, fourth Sunday of Advent on the nineteenth oh, nice. of December. So, yeah. anyways, well, here we are. Though this is, I feel like the second Sunday of Advent really begins to get into the heart of what it's all about. Uh, the expectation and the awaiting of the coming of Jesus in light of his first coming. And uh, we have three really great readings. Uh, we're not touching Baruch, but we are touching Malachi. Stay away the from the Apocrypha. Prophet. Stay away. We're going to be talking about Malachi uh, or Malachi, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. You said that then last we have Phil- I know, it never gets old. And then we have Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11, and then Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And really, I mean, I think the collect of the day should set the tone for your preaching. It reminds us that God has sent messengers like the prophets to preach repentance and to do what? Prepare the way for salvation. And so, uh, we are um, taking heed of their preaching, and uh, your preaching should revolve around that, so that when uh, people People um, come face to face with our Lord at His second coming. They will know Him as a friend, as a redeemer, and not as a judge. That's right. One might say, a homie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, anyway, <laughs> That's... are you taking like a screenshot of this? <laughs> no, and, like I'm basically not. my I'm looking not. homeless. So <laughs> the the listeners Everybody should know <laughs> that while I look like a respectable clergyman in a collar. Jake has on these gigantic headphones that I think are made for gaming. They're bright red. Yeah, they're Henry's. I couldn't find them. <laughs> and he's so. wearing a, a baseball cap that's from Tijuana. It says Tijuana on it, and I think I think it's got a Cholos. Chihuahua on it. Like a, no, that's a Cholo. It's a dog. Oh, it's a kind of dog, a beautiful dog that mm-hmm. you ne- that will never win the Me- Westminster Kennel Club uh, competition no, ever. And then it was uh, the Aztec dogs. And the brim so. is very flat. So I just want to paint this picture. He's wearing a puffy vest. So just don't believe what you've seen on Instagram, people. <laughs> this is the real Jacob Smith. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the rough and raw. So anyway, but uh, um, uh, let's talk yeah, about the Bible. So we're, we're, 
let's talk about it. So here we are, uh, and it's because today's a low-key day at St. George's, Calvary St. George's. Uh, not a low-key, but, uh, you know, I'm just trying to get through our uh, sexual harassment training before the end of the day. And yeah, so, so you didn't dress up for any liturgical dinner. functions. Like, we got it. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Let it be clear. Jake is not phoning <laughs> it in. He cares about his job. Yeah. And this podcast. So, I mean, so what do you think about uh, uh, Malachi or Malachi? And, um, you know, anything? How, how would you hit on this? How would you some, preach this text? I don't know. Let's just move on to Philippians. Just kidding. So, <laughs> um, Malachi uh, is about getting ready, and it's about sending a messenger and uh, being alert. And there's some fear in this. And a lot of the Advent readings have a touch of fear, of reverence, and of awe and getting ready for somebody who's coming. And this has an image of judgment and purification. Yes. And this, and that is in the words, refiner's fire and fuller's soap. So, the fire was used to burn off impurities in metal. Fuller's soap was used to bleach cloth and try to make it white. So, both of these things <laughs> are removing of impurities and saying that there's somebody coming from God and uh, this person will will be a judge and it, and someone who purifies, mm-hmm. and this is ultimately uh, why people think, including John the Baptist, why they think Jesus is going to when he arrives that he's going to come to clean house and uh, kick people out who are not doing right, and so this sets the expectation and. It sets the expectation so that we will then be surprised when Jesus actually does show up in the way that he does mm-hmm. in the yeah. um, so tender and mild, the baby Jesus. So, yeah. this is, I mean, I that, think, that's how I preach it, sort of a... Um, yeah, this is well, this is a really good, a powerful passage because, you know, in, in, in Malachi's day, um, people, uh, religiously speaking, are a lot... Are, are in the same place that a lot of people today are religiously speaking. There's not much difference ever in people. And uh, there was a lot of like kind of outward appearances of righteousness and holiness versus kind of the inward kind of um, actually, you know, uh, from the heart. It was more like what we do defines us as opposed to, you know, from the heart defining us. And this is why he speaks of the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, uh, this one that uh, a new covenant, one that comes comes from the heart. Uh, and then uh, uh, Malachi calls it out, and here's the question, the, the, the important thing, but who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? And uh, here then Malachi talks about this judgment passage. And I love it, These uh, the, the very specific things, the refiner's fire and uh, the specific type of soap, the fuller soap, these are specific things, but fire is um, you know, when it's just on its own, is discri- is indiscriminate. It burns everything in its way. If you live in California, you know exactly what we're talking about. But this is pure. This is a, a pure a refiner's fire. This is very specific, and it has a very specific task. And as a matter of fact, that task is taken upon by Jesus. And so, um, and then Jesus becomes the one who um, stands in our stead, so that when the question is asked, who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears. And a lot of people wonder that every day. You know, how am I ever going to stand before God? Well, we're reminded that then it's not on our merit um, or on our piety or that we're observing Advent perfectly, but rather uh, we're the ones who can stand when He comes because we've been found in Him and His righteousness alone. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, we some of the feedback we've gotten recently, thank you, listeners, has been to ask us to talk a little bit more specifically about the nuts and bolts of preaching. And one thing I will say here is that this question that's asked rhetorically, who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears, this question gives you a chance, preacher, to engage the congregation. So if you ask this question non-rhetorically and begin to ask, what would be burned off if you were put in the refiner's fire? What would be cleansed if the fuller soap was used on you? And you and this is this is what I do when I preach, and Jake does this also really well. Um, begin to get specific and concrete in people's lives. So I was I'm yes. I'm doing the audio book of Lori Gottlieb's You Should Talk to Someone, which is a therapist who goes to therapy, and the book is about that whole experience. But anyway, she talks, she mentions one thing. This is, I'm giving you an example of something like what you could say in a sermon when you're talking about what would need to be burned off in your life. Because preachers will often say lame things like, you know, your your prayer life is weak, or just kind of vague, and the more specific and concrete you can get, the better. So Gottlieb talks about uh, something Andrew Sullivan said once, the famous writer-blogger. Sullivan was at a party, and he talked to, he met a married couple, but he met them. There's, For the record, yeah. the apocalypse going on is in Waco, that Texas, is Waco, not New York City. That is Waco's uh, uh, fire department. We, Lord, we pray for those people wherever they're going. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, he's, Sullivan talked about going to a party and meeting a married couple independently. Like, he met the husband first, and then he met the wife. And in chatting with them, he learned that both the husband and the wife were taking antidepressants, and neither of them had told the other what they were doing because they didn't want their spouse to think that they were weak or didn't have it all together or something like that. And I thought, golly, that is such an example. Because everybody has secrets. Everybody is keeping a secret from somebody. And if you can use that example or something, you can think of your own. Um, uh, what would we find out if we looked at your credit card statement, uh, the browser history or whatever? Or you can um, talk about the ways we lie casually in life, the ways we pretend that we've read things we haven't read or watched things we haven't watched, or we like people we don't actually like. And this is the, if you can get into specific examples, uh, and then uh, when you talk about what would be burned off by the refiner's fire, what would be purged by the fuller soap. And then what you can say is, so who can stand? No one. And this is where your congregation is then realizing, oh, yeah, I guess this is about me. This isn't just... Because this verse is very bible It's like messenger mm-hmm. of the covenant and the temple and descendants of Levi. Mm-hmm. We just tune that out. But if you ask who could stand if God came as a judge, and then you talk about examples in people's lives, then you've got them at a place where this is me and oh my God, I'm, on, I kinda, I'm, on, I'm on trial here a little bit. And this is where you can say, no one can stand when he appears except what we're going to find at Christmas is that when he appears, it's a little baby, and that baby's going to grow up, and he's actually going to take all of your deceit and pettiness and sin, and he, the refiner's fire will come, but Jesus is the one who's going to allow himself to be burned by it. The fuller soap will Amen. be used, and he's the one that's going to allow himself to be uh, purged uh, on our behalf. So, the judge is coming, but he's judging our place. But that's how you make it count, because it's one thing to be theologically accurate and to exegete the text, but you also have to exegete the congregation and help it apply. So that's my little kind of two cents on at least what I do. The, as Paul Zoll has said, the illustration is the most important thing in the sermon, and evangelicals hate that because they think, no, you have to exegete the text properly, and you do have to exegete the text pro- properly, and that is important, but uh, but if you don't use an illustration, it won't hit, it won't 
get real for people. And I'd like to read now from a little uh, quote from uh, Martin Luther that none other than Melina Smith, uh, Jacob's wife and the and the, the Storymakers NYC children's curriculum and content producers sent me. So this is from the Small Lutheran Catechism. Martin Luther wrote this, whatever is presented to us in words must be reduced to pictures. For without a picture, we can neither think nor understand anything. That is how Christ, everywhere in the gospel, carried out his ministry. He taught people the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven by means of invisible pictures and parables. And this is why your illustrations matter, that people could see and feel and hear and understand what you're saying. So use parables, mm. which is another way of saying use illustrations to make it connect. Are, are we, have we exhausted Malachi, Jake? Move on, end of rant. I mean, yeah, boy, you did it. So it's great. No, that's wonderful. And so we turn to Philippians now, which is the source of two verses that can be ripped out of context and used uh, successfully, both in your uh, your dating life and your uh, <laughs> exercise life. So I thank my God every time I remember you, verse three of chapter one, which is here today. Great to use in the early stages of a Christian dating relationship. If you want to show yep. the person, A, I'm thinking about you, and B, I know the Bible. I thank my God every time I remember you. Or right before Shorty. you propose. Yes, so that's also good. that. And then the other one is uh, on the walls of Christian um, workout places and gyms everywhere. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which was mm. about suffering under persecution. had nothing to do with squats, but hey, we'll just use it for whatever we want. <laughs> we don't care. Mm. Uh, I loved that because uh, Seth Curry used to have that uh, p- the, that Bible verse uh, etched into his sneakers. Yep. And uh, the... Um, was it the Babylon Bee had a great headline one time? It was Seth Curry shocked to find that Paul wrote this from prison. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, this is a this is a very very. Uh, I mean, this really shows what uh, what 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 faith looks like, and um, in the midst of intense intense persecution, in the midst of real difficulty, um, uh, the what what kind of how the Christian faith carries us. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it's important to note that Paul is in prison as he writes this, he writes this, because Advent, so there's there's a couple of Advent-y themes here. Uh, verse 6, it mentions the day of Jesus Christ, so this is the second coming of the Lord. So, Advent, mm-hmm. meaning coming, is about his first coming and his second coming at the same time. And so, that is in light here, as it was in Malachi, you know, the 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 messenger who's coming and who can stand when he arrives and all that sort of stuff, first coming and second coming. But uh, what we see here is people in a waiting period between the first coming and the second coming, which is where we are as well. And um, so, Paul underlines the fact that as we're waiting, it's, a, it's it, well, waiting sucks and it's hard and there's suffering in that and he, Paul's in prison and yet at the same time, he's praying He's confident, he's hopeful, and uh, and he's looking ahead to this day. And he says, and this is where I would kind of end this for people that are in that waiting period, and that suffering period. Uh, they wish that they were different than they were. They wish their life was better than it is, all those things if you're in that position. Paul says in verse 10 uh, that his prayer is that their love would increase so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. And it's important to note for people that this is God's work. You're not happy with your life. You're in a waiting room. You're stuck in a situation you can't get out of. Um, you, 
is God who will do this work in you. Mm. Um, because so many sermons are about trying to tell people to get better on their own. And this is, Paul says that this love would be given to them, not because they sort of muster it up by white knuckling yeah. their way through life, mm-hmm. um, but that Jesus Christ is the one who makes them pure and blameless. Yeah. And this is, you know, this is the um, existential place where you'd want to preach, you know, talking about the, the illustration. But, you know, I think a lot of times people talk about life being really, really short, and sometimes it can feel uh, very short. However, um, Advent reminds us, too, of the truth that life, especially when we're waiting, uh, can be very, very long mm. and uh, can be uh, can be difficult. And um and so, and this is why, and uh, in the midst of that waiting, it's, uh, and this is one of the reasons why um, hope is a key theme in Advent, because hope enables us to wait, and hope enables us to be still. Um, you know, when uh, there is no hope in the midst of waiting, this is when we become anxious and want to pull it all together. And uh, Paul reminds them that in the midst of this waiting, it is Jesus uh, who's going to bring this all to completion. And uh, and uh, him bringing this into completion uh, enables them to have a love that overflows and, uh, you know, and m- more and more with the knowledge and full insight to help you determine what is best. Because this is this is what we need when we are waiting, is, is a word and knowledge and insight, insight from outside of ourselves to know that this is what life often looks like. The world is telling you it should be all perfect and filled with highs all the time. But the truth is, is that life is filled with the long line that goes forward and forward and sometimes seems to be endless. Mm. But uh, that that insight that we've been given is that uh, this current long wait will not ultimately define you. Uh, this uh, current long wait ultimately will come to an end, and all of time will come to an end, which is the day of Jesus. And uh, when you know that in the midst of that wait, it's not about what you do defines you, but what he's done that defines you, well, this allows you to know and be pure and blameless. And uh, actually, the Spirit working through you produces that harvest of righteousness, uh, bearing fruit in what seems like oftentimes a fruitless season. Yeah, and just, I mean, we should have in mind, as I'm sure Paul does as he writes this, all the parables of Jesus where he talks about (coughs) harvest, and he says that God is the one who sows the seed, God is the one who makes it grow, God Mm -hmm. is the one who tends the vine, God is the one who prunes it. All these things, any harvest that comes, it's, it's the opposite of this overly anxious, try-hard version of Christianity, and he's pointing to the one who's the Lord of the harvest, the one who plants the seed, Amen. the one who tends the garden um, and tends us. Our only job, as Jesus says in John's Gospel, is to abide in the vine, to just stay connected mm. to the Gospel, which is the, what he's talking about. He says that you may have knowledge and full insight. It's knowledge and full insight of the Gospel, what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. So I think, and that the final thing I would, if you want to do this in your sermon, you can point out the fact that we're all in the waiting room. We're all yep. suffering on some level. And at this point, if I were preaching this passage, I would turn to the congregation and say, you know, you may think you're in church and everybody here has it together and we we got up on Sunday morning when everybody else is either sleeping in or having brunch and here we are putting our best face forward. But everybody in here, you welcome to the Sufferers Club, welcome to church. Mm. Because Paul is saying, he's talking about community and how that helps him get through the waiting time and the suffering time, because he says in verse 5, you're sharing in the gospel with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, you hold me in your heart, and and I am thinking about you. And uh, this, this um, 
community that's beyond space and time, because Paul's in prison and they're in Philippi, yep. and all that. This community, we all share in this, and we all share in that. This is what we're in. Christianity is not a club for people who have it together. And so, if you can help people see each other that way, and that's what church is for, that can be very powerful. Well, and I've said this, you know, I mean, there's a reason why church basements are packed on a Saturday mm-hmm. uh, with AA meetings, and they're empty on Sundays. But if you can really tap into, you know, that Welcome to the Sufferers Club, and not in like sort of a negative, ultra-pietistic, you know, uh, you know, whipping myself on the back kind of thing, but just a sufferer club in the sense of this is what life is. No one's getting away with anything. You begin then to be able to pull the base that what's going on on a Saturday out of the basement and into your sanctuary, and I'll tell you, people will flock. Mm. Yeah, don't be like Paul Bettany. I mean, you can. <laughs> He's ripped. Who's that? So Paul Bettany is the English actor who plays Vision, both in WandaVision and oh, the yeah. Marvel Cinematic oh, yeah. Universe. Okay, but he also played that kind of psycho. Uh, albino monk in the film version of Dan Brown's The Da Vinci oh. Code, starring Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't watch the movie, but that monk, he's into a lot of like self-mutilation uh, and self-harm in some sort of pious way. Don't, don't be like Paul Bettany. See, now you have a sermon title. Okay. Mm. Luke 3. Do you Verses want to... 1 through 6. In the 15th year of the reign of... This is the Linus passage from Charlie yeah, Brown absolutely. Christmas, and it's the story. It's beginning to get a little tiny bit into the what we think of as, quote-unquote, the Christmas story, even though mm-hmm. we're not in those readings yet. We're still very much in Advent. Uh, and um, this is... I mean, of, I love... Yeah, go ahead. I love, how this, I love how this opens up. It's very important to... Because so many of your people in congre- your congregation, unfortunately probably think that this is um, a legend, Mm. or uh, probably uh, think that it doesn't really matter if it's true. Um, You know, um, that this can all just be a wonderful, powerful metaphor. Nonsense. Uh, What Luke is doing in these first few verses is he is really rooting this in history. Um, He wants you to know that this really happened. This didn't take place in the land of Maud and Todd. This took place in a real place during uh, real rulers. And so, uh, there, there's something, and so, and what this means is, is that this is true. And, and because it's true, it can speak to the darkest parts of your life, you know, um, and uh, because those parts of your life are true as well. And so, I, I do want to say that, that there is, there's, there's some power in that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. This is real. And Paul or Luke belabors the point. He could have just said in the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, but he goes on and on, Pontius Pilate, Herod, Philip, etc. Um, mentions Abilene, the home of the of Abilene Christian University. A lot of people, that's a, that's a city in northern <laughs> Texas. Uh, and then who, like who's high priest in the temple? So both you get the political and you get the religious, the political hierarchy and the religious hierarchy. And at this point, something really interesting happens, and it is, um, and this is where I would begin to preach. The word of God came to John, John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. Now, this is talking about John the baptizer, and in the wilderness is key, because everybody thought that Emperor Tiberius was a god, and what, when he spoke, God was speaking. Uh, and everybody thought that Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests, were in the place where God speaks, in the temple, that's where they work. But the word of God actually comes to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So, the mm-hmm. wilderness in people's lives, I mean, gosh, we've been in it 
we were in it before the pandemic and the pandemic just turned it up to 11. So people in the wilderness and the the message here is that the word of God comes to you at your point of need, at your place of suffering. And we're sort of repeating what we've already said in the beginning, but that's because this is what the message is. We have Jesus Christ as suffering Savior, or Lord who, yes, he's risen, but he's also crucified. So if you're looking for something a little more saccharine uh, and just full of positive affirmations, which many Christians wish Christianity was, but it's actually not, at least in our texts. So the word of God comes to you in the wilderness. And again, this is where you can begin to use illustrations to show people what the wilderness mm. might be in their lives. Um, mm. And uh, this is where songs like Sweet Child of Mine, your hair reminds me of a special place where as a child I'd hide and wait for the thunder and lightning quietly to pass me by. This is a child who's alone and suffering and as an adult is now longing for a place that's safe, but because life is not that. So you didn't think Mm. Axl Rose had anything good to offer besides a five octave range, but listeners, there is a lot there. So wherever your examples come from to talk about the wilderness, you can connect with people on that point and say the word of God comes to that space. Jake? Yeah, and that that word of God is very, very specific through John the Baptist. It comes and he's proclaiming uh, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so, what God uh, does, Mm. what he speaks to the parts of the wilderness in your life, he speaks, repent and know your sins are forgiven. Yeah. And so, this is um, very, very, so it's not just the word of God coming and it's like, hey, how are you? (laughs) You know, it's um, repent and your sins are forgiven. Uh, yeah. And uh, and so that's uh, that's an important note. Go ahead. No, I was going to say it's important because the word repent has been marred and twisted and yes. filled with all kinds of connotations. Again, like legalistic Christianity, stop being naughty so that God will like you. Um, yes. Daddy's coming home, so you better wash your face. And uh, that's not what repentance means. An outcome of repentance might be that your behavior changes from something that is self-destructive to something that is constructive. But repentance doesn't just mean stop being bad. Repentance means wake up and be honest. To your point earlier about the 12-step meeting, um, repentance looks like the beginning of those meetings where the first person you talk and then for the rest of the meeting, whenever someone talks, they say, Hi, I'm Steve, and I'm an alcoholic. It's that moment of, of honesty and recognition and acknowledgement of, of where you actually are. And so, uh, mm-hmm. repentance is another word for getting honest and real. And that's where then yeah, you, you and- receive the forgiveness that's yours. And at that point, that's when life change may begin to happen. This is what we see with <laughs> and- Zacchaeus and all the disciples. Yeah. They're called, they're forgiven. And then they repent. So, anyways, that's that's and, all I want to say about that. And the word of the and and then also the word of the prophet Isaiah begins to make sense. Mm. You know, uh, he is going to uh, uh, make the path straight because the assumption there is that things are crooked, and uh, the places in your life where you feel completely like valleys and are low are going to be leveled out, and all the places that you're resting in on your own strength, the mountains and the hills. Those high places, well, they're going to be made low and leveled. And, uh, you know, and uh, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Mm. And uh, indeed we do. Uh, uh, they saw it there, and we see it every Sunday uh, when uh, we celebrate communion. And, uh, you know, and are reminded of this, the gifts of God for the people of God. Mm. Uh, take them in remembrance that Christ has died for you. And uh, now the whole world, they may not believe it, but the whole world definitely knows that God 
has done something. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and that's, uh, I think, so whether you talk about refining fire and Fuller's soap, uh, um, or you talk about the messenger that Luke is proclaiming, there's a sense in all these passages, and in the Philippians passage as well, because there's, there's um, talk about the gospel and uh, gro- kind of growth and being pure and blameless. Like, all these things imply that there's a gigantic human problem, which is that we are not pure and blameless, that we live in the wilderness, uh, that there's parts of our lives that are impure and that we hide and we're ashamed of. So, the work on this Sunday is to kind of bring those things out to help people air their dirty laundry a little bit, at least in their hearts and between them and the Lord, this vertical conversation that's happening between the listener and God as the horizontal communication is happening from the preacher to them. Um, So, what you want them is to feel who they are, be, be seen and be honest, that's where repentance is, and then in that, as all these passages do, you, you preach the forgiveness as, as um, we hear in Luke, the tender mercy of our God that breaks upon us like dawn from on high. Um, Amen. Or you have uh, in the, the, uh, the, the message in the, in the Luke reading where you have um, this idea of forgiveness of sins, baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. So, all these passages, they present the reality of human life and then the message of God's forgiveness. So, that's what you want to be working with on the second Sunday of Advent. Well, amen. that'll do it. Well, that's good. And now all it's time right. for Jake to put on proper attire, and uh, <laughs> we'll see you next week for the third Sunday of Advent, Gaudete, the Sunday with the worst liturgical colors of the entire year. Yeah, get your pink vestments out, everybody. Woo! We'll see you then. Somebody's looking, somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know we crucified him, buried him, but three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production, and remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.